Hello, and welcome to a new season of the Herb Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Dr. Dalal Irikath. Dr. Irikath is Vice President for International Relations and Assistant Professor, Faculty of Graduate Studies, Arab American University, Palestine. Based in Ramallah, she's a weekly columnist for Al Quds newspaper. Dalal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Bill. Can I begin by reading a recent tweet of yours? The EU rep met the family of 21-year-old Ahmed Manasra, imprisoned since the age of 13, alarmed that he's been in solitary confinement since November 2021, despite serious mental health problems. Ahmed should immediately be released to receive necessary mental health care and counseling. You know, in a few lines that encapsulates the awful cruelty of the occupation, detained at 13, now 21. He's been held in solitary confinement for nearly a year. Can you talk to me about the case of Ahmed Manasseh and what it says about Israel and its treatment of the Palestinian people? Well, thank you very much, Bill. Um, uh, Ahmed Manasseh is, is just a very um, square case of what the Palestinians are going through. Ahmed is yet again one example of what the Palestinians have been suffering. And his case, of course, resembles a specific layer of the Israeli occupation and their targeting of every Palestinian, however, this time on the layer of children. And this proves that Israel doesn't care about uh, looking at Palestinians, whether they're children, a woman, elderly. The Israeli occupation targets anything if it's Palestinian. Uh, the case of Ahmed Manasra specifically must have an outrage, you know. Uh, he was a child, he's been detained for years, as you said, in solitary confinement for more than a year. He had been suffering from diagnosed and documented mental and psychological issues. And, you know, many international organizations, many international health and civil uh, uh, rights organizations were calling upon the Israelis to, to release him because the, the, the boy is truly suffering from disease, from, uh, you know, a mental illness, which had been caused by the Israeli authorities' uh, practices throughout uh, the detention. However, up until this moment, the Israeli occupation continued to, to, detain, to detain Ahmed. Ahmed's case needs more attention. And the, the world, any, any, any conscious citizen, including, of course, the international community, the EU, the US, the UN, uh, and the, the, the conscious citizens of the world need to put pressure in any way possible on the Israeli authorities to, to release Ahmed immediately. And this is exactly what his parents had been asking for and what the Palestinian people had been trying to, to voice for years now. However, the Israeli occupation doesn't, doesn't really care. In the Israeli presence, there are more than 5,000 Palestinian prisoners. 723 of those are administratively detained, Bill. Administrative detention does not exist but in the state of Israel. I mean, this is totally um, illegal. It's inhumane. And to just uh, make it simple by definition, administrative detention is the, uh, the fact that the authorities uh, imprison uh, or jail someone without trial. And they continue to do that every six months, to, to renew the detention every six months without trial. 
This doesn't happen in any place in the world but in Israel. 723 Palestinians are administratively detained. And since the beginning of August, this month alone, around 50 were administratively detained. So what Israel is doing is a total collective punishment against everything that is Palestinian, no matter what, no matter what color, no matter what beliefs, no matter what ideology. Yeah, the, the collective punishment, as you say, uh, the 723 Palestinians held indefinitely without charge. Uh, Ahmed Manasra, what was he originally arrested for at the age of 13? He was just a child. And he kept saying, I don't remember, I don't remember. Mm. So um, the fact that they say he was with his cousin who stabbed a, a soldier. I mean, even if his cousin was, you know, uh, perpetrated an attack, the boy was just a child. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, I don't remember, I don't remember. And, you know, there is enough medical evidence and enough health evidence and enough child care organization evidence that he was just a child and he was not supposed to be treated in such a way. What does this say, Dalal, about Israel and, and its claim to be a democracy? Oftentimes you hear that Israel is the only democracy in the region. This sort of thing, what, what is it saying about that claim? Well, you know, there are many uh, stories that we could uh, share to prove Israel totally non-democratic. I will not start with the detention and with their practices against the Palestinians, but I would like to start with the Israeli Jewish Nation State Law Bill that was uh, issued in 2018. You know, the fact that Israel identified the rights of citizens based on their religious identity and it grants those citizen rights only to those who affiliate with Judaism, I think should not be tolerated in today's world. Because what, is, what Israel is doing, what the Israeli Knesset did by this law is basically neglecting the rights of 2 million Palestinians who live inside Israel and who um, carry the Israeli citizenship, whether Muslims or Christians or no matter what. So as I said, I, I wonder how and the, the international community is tolerating the fact that Israel is branding itself as a democracy while they grant the rights of citizens uh, only to the Jewish citizens of, of their state, let alone, of course, the apartheid practices, which were documented. I mean, the term apartheid was not an invention of Palestinians, but it is now documented against the Israeli regime by Human Rights Watch, by B'Tselem, by uh, human rights organizations in Israel and um, worldwide. So I think it's about time that the world faces the reality that, uh, you know, the label that Israel has been trying to Uh, preserved for a while is contested nowadays and it's not really democracy but apartheid in Israel. Yeah another story I was reading recently in Haaretz is about American evangelicals planting trees praiseworthy in itself but the trees are being planted on Palestinian-owned land in the West Bank. It seems that at every step and with numerous tactical devices Israel is is striving hard to make life unbearable for Palestinians. Do you think that Israel is succeeding in that effort? Well, on daily basis, uh, Bill, we as Palestinians living under the Israeli occupation face collective punishment on so many levels. I mean, uh, when it comes to the daily raids, incursions, the daily detentions of Palestinians, you know, our mobility rights, our worshipping rights, 
I give you myself as an example. I was born in Jerusalem and it says Jerusalem in, in, on my ID. However, I cannot enter Jerusalem without a permit. And I need to justify the reason why I am worth of a permit to visit um, Jerusalem. So if you're talking about my rights uh, on a religious base, I don't have them. On a humanitarian base, I don't have them. A mobility base, I don't have them. You know, even when it comes to the medical um, uh, purposes or uh, ledger purposes, for example, people don't have the luxury to go to uh, Jerusalem or to uh, enter Israel for, you know, to enjoy the beach, for example. You would find thousands of Palestinians who had never seen the beach in their lives. So Israel is trying to humiliate the Palestinians on checkpoints, you know, if you look at the the, the labor, the workers uh, example, for example, yes, we have around 150,000 Palestinians who go and work in Israel. They get better salaries than they get in, on Palestinian territory. Yes, that that uh, that is true. However, the way they are treated on the checkpoints, you know, they go at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. and they get searched and uh, humiliated on daily basis. They don't have equal rights as any um, Israeli labor, of course. You know, Israel is, is treating the Palestinians, I won't say as the second class citizens, it's even worse. So the fact that Israel doesn't look at Palestinians as normal human beings who, are, who should be equal to any um, uh, citizen of the world uh, when it comes to all different rights, that is enough to say, what an apartheid system, what an occupation system, what a colonial system Israel is um, adopting. I mean, on um, the settlement or the, the colonial level, the, we, we hear about settlements and new licenses um, also on daily basis. I mean, it's a continued policy. The settler, settler colonialism has been ongoing uh, ever since the state of Israel was created. Uh, the forced displacement uh, eviction orders, you know, those are military orders that the Israeli military issues against the Palestinian residents. Um, you know, we hear about the case of Sheikh Jarrah or Silwan or Masafir Yatta or Al-Khan Al-Ahmar. So this is, this is all continuous. So Israel is not uh, wasting any opportunity to make the lives of the Palestinians um, miserable and um, to make it even more and more difficult for Palestinians to, to enjoy their resilience by staying on this land. You know, those uh, military orders of uh, uh, forced displacements can only translate to the Nakba of 1948. Uh, those people were expelled from their homes and now they are facing their second Nakba. You, mean, you know, in the 21st century, in 2022, to, to just sit and witness what Israel is doing against the Palestinian people is, uh, is somehow unintentionally being involved in those crimes that Israel is perpetrating against the Palestinian people. This should not be tolerated. I mean, Israel in 2022 is treating the Palestinians like non-human non beings. Uh, it's violating all different international laws, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the four Geneva Conventions, the UN Security Council Resolution uh, 242338253267298476478233 I mean, all different legitimacy that was the base of the peace process itself. So Israel doesn't care about anything, nothing um, that might be ethical or legal or, the, or anything that has, for example, international consensus. 
when it comes to the 67 borderline, for example. You know, when the Palestinians accepted to go into the peace process, they accepted based on international legitimacy and international consensus. And by the way, that was the position of the international community to propose a two-state solution. The Palestinians had accepted concessions I mean, they accepted to give up on 78% of historic Palestine for the benefit of the creation of the state of Israel. And they recognized the rights of the Israelis to exist in a state side by side with the Palestinian state. What, do, what reality are we experiencing today? You know, the situation has deteriorated um, since three decades. You see um, the settlements had more than uh, tripled. The numbers of settlers uh, had reached more than 750,000 um, settlers. Uh, let alone those who um, reside on Jerusalem alone in, a, in a, an attempt to Judaize the city as a whole. You know, the targeted killing, the extrajudicial murders of Palestinians on the streets um, also is continuous and is very random. You know, the killing of Shireen Abu Aqleh. Shireen Abu I Aqleh wanted is to, my... Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, Shireen, uh, who, as a journalist, was a witness to the events that you're describing and reported on them uh, was hugely respected, not just among Palestinians, but but worldwide. And, you know, the Israelis, they seem to have just closed the book on that killing. She was shot and killed by the IDF. Um, no indication whatsoever that the Israelis will take any responsibility. Do you think that, once again, the world is letting Israel just get away with the killing of Sharin Abu Akleh? Well, as I said, Israel is targeting anything that is Palestinian. And the case of Shirin Abu Aqleh, her uh, murder, first of all, and then her funeral, which was all um, streamed live and you know documented on cameras, shows that the Israeli occupation is just inhumane. And the, wit the world had witnessed live the audacity of, the, of this occupation in torturing the Palestinians in life and in death. You know, when we saw the the rifles, the tear gas, the, the sound bombs, the baths, and on, during the funeral, you know, that must have been shocking to the world. I mean, to, to see the Israeli special units invade the French hospital in Jerusalem, where her, her body was kept at the St. Joseph's Hospital. You know, they raided the hospital. So there was no, no humanitarian, no legal um, respect to anything. I mean, there is no doubt that the world must be dismayed by what we what we have seen, you know, as as uh, conscious citizens uh, of the world. But does Israel really care? You know, for the past seventy four years, Israel had been had been uh, carrying out crimes against the Palestinian people. What had we seen? I mean, yes, Israel. We 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 want to see accountability, and we want to. See see that Israel is um, being held accountable. And yes, we want um, investigations, uh, which we don't see any of what I mentioned, no accountability, no investigations, no protection to the Palestinian people. However, Bill, I think the focus needs to be shifted on the need to end the Israeli occupation. Because all the scenes that we are witnessing, the killings of Shireen, the detention, the raids, the incursions, the forced displacement orders, the settlements, it all comes under the package of the occupation. I think it's very important for us to focus on uh, putting pressure on ending the Israeli occupation, which then breaks down to all the different um, scenes and practices of the Israeli authorities against the Palestinian people.
Shireen's case is the perfect legal case, which we had expected, for example, the US administration to put more pressure on Israel to uh, hold and carry on uh, a proper investigation. Unfortunately, when it comes to Israel, the hypocrisy and the double standards that we witness in today's world is, um, is difficult to justify, is difficult to comprehend. But this is the reality. When it comes to Israel, no uh, Geneva Conventions are uh, expected. No articles of the Rome Statute or the International Criminal uh, Court are uh, respected. No respect to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. No respect to the UN Security Council resolutions or the General Assembly resolutions. You know, if we see what's happening in, in Jerusalem or Masafir Yatta or Sheikh Jarrah or Gaza, you know, where two million people are, are imprisoned in a big um, prison, it is just simple that when it comes to Israel, the world stands silent. There is no room for anything that is ethical, anything that is legal, but what Israel um, uh, does gets, you know, a green light from everybody. And all we see has been, did not, you know, exceed condemnations or, you know, statements. I don't think this is enough. And I don't think um, for any conscious citizen of this world and, uh, you know, in 2022, everybody should be looking at Palestinians as normal human beings, and everybody should be asking for accountability, for investigations, for protection of the Palestinian people. You know, the statements and condemnations are valued, of course, but Palestinians really deserve investigations and accountability. Israel needs to be held accountable against all the crimes that it um, carries against the Palestinian people. But when it comes to Shireen's case, you know, it's a legal perfect case. It must be um, truly a wake-up call to the world uh, to really deal with the, the root causes of those injustices. It is prime time to end the Israeli occupation. Mm. Dalal, you, you, you mentioned Raza, and, and I'm just, you know, the situation, as you said, two million people in, in, in a very, packed into a very small area. To, to listeners who have not fully, who perhaps cannot fully appreciate just how dreadful a situation is. Can you, can you give us a kind of a snapshot of a, of a day in the life of an ordinary uh, Gaza person? You know, Gaza lives under um, uh, a total blockade. It's facing um, unprecedented and hard to imagine, you know, humanitarian um, crisis. And uh, what really aches my heart is the loss of hope that prevails, of course. You know, there is suffering and silence in Gaza. People don't have the ability to do much about it. You know, some countries pledge some money or, you know, budget support here and there, or they carry out certain projects uh, or water supplies. However, the reality is that there is no electricity in Gaza, no proper water supplies in Gaza, no internet in Gaza, no, uh, no work or labor for laborers in, in, in Gaza. So the citizens, the two million people, who live in Gaza are basically deprived from the basic, basic uh, human rights of, you know, enjoying the basic needs. And allow me to, to, to differentiate here between a human needs and human rights uh, bill, because, you know, internet today or water or electricity are not supposed to come under the label or the term of rights. Those are basic needs, human needs, which today's um, humans cannot live without. So for the world to witness and to stay silent about uh, seeing the Gaza people for, uh, well, now we're approaching two decades, you know, uh, on this uh, on this blockade uh, against the Gaza people. You know, all the airs and lands and waters 
of Gaza are totally controlled by the Israeli occupation. Some might think that Sharon withdrew from Gaza. Yes, he tried to tell the world that they deployed the Israeli um, uh, soldiers and the uh, Jewish settlers from Gaza and that they granted um, sovereignty to Gaza. This is not true. You know, first of all, when Sharon withdrew from Gaza, he did so unilaterally, which according to the peace process is illegal. He did not consult with any Palestinian side, not with the PLO, not with the PNA. And um, I'm not sure if he uh, negotiated with Hamas, to my knowledge, he did not. So he just did a unilateral um, step where he had the intention of isolating those people, of depriving those people of any basic right, which had made the situation, the situation very dire, very um, deteriorated to the point where, you know, you cannot imagine any human being in the 21st century living under such um, circumstances. What is happening in Gaza is a total illegal blockade, of course, uh, under the unlawful occupation. It is uh, a simple way uh, of viewing what structural violence and what collective punishment are like in today's world. You know, uh, I, I look into, I look at Gaza, and I was in Gaza last month, by the way, just before the, the raid, you know, you cannot deal with Gaza based on, you know, projects here and there and with, a, you know, a project-oriented uh, approach. I think Gaza needs a mega uh, macro way of looking at it, of making it a better place. And again, well, everything starts with ending the Israeli occupation because even when some people say that, uh, or Israel tries to say that Hamas is in control of Gaza, it's very important for the world to know that the Israelis withdrew their military forces from Gaza without any coordination with the Palestinians, aiming for that situation that is taking place in Gaza, aiming for the division between um, Gaza and the West Bank, because this is the, 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 the biggest uh, fig leaf and excuse that Israel can, can give to the international community to show them that Palestinians are not worthy of statehood. Palestinians are not worthy of sovereignty, and of freedom because on the internal level, look, they cannot even unite. But in reality, that was done through Israeli tactics and strategies, you know, in dividing and ruling, because the reality is that Gaza, like Ramallah, like Jerusalem, like Tul Karim, like Nablus, like Hebron or Bethlehem, are all under total Israeli occupation. No Palestinian, including the president, cannot leave from a city to another without the permission of the Israeli authorities. Mm. You know, I, I think too about the, uh, the criminalization of these six Palestinian human rights organizations. Um, we spoke with uh, Jonathan Kutab, who was a co-founder of Al-Haq, one of those organizations, uh, which was accused of funding terror. And uh, he has pretty much given up on a two-state solution. What about you? What do you think about the two-state solution? Is it is it finished? Is it over? You know, academically speaking, I, I might be able to say that uh, the two-state solution might have been um, the best case scenario for both the people of Palestine and Israel to live uh, strategically and on the long term, you know, side by side in peace, security and dignity and prosperity. However, it would be totally um, unrealistic to still believe that it is an existing solution. 
because um, once you experience reality, once you look at the geopolitics of where the Israeli authorities has taken us with their continued confiscation of lands, with their continued settlement, colonial expansions, they did not leave any room for the two-state solution. I mean, yes, it is nice, it's appealing, but it's about lip service, to be honest. I mean, even the international community that has, that has been advocating for a two-state solution is witnessing today that the geopolitics that Israel imposed on the grounds hindered any possibility for the two-state solution, leading us to the only solution of one state, however, where the Palestinians are not treated equally. But, uh, I mean, in today's world, if you look at um, the Palestinian generation that is rising today, uh, you know, they're on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram, you know, the, the Palestinian new generation views themselves nothing but equal to any citizens in the world. So um, it would have been wise for um, the Israelis to engage with President Abbas, who had, you know, uh, called for peace so many times. I don't think the new generations will be as um, soft or as peaceful, if I may say, as the current um, administration or leadership. Because, you know, when you look at um, the, the civil society organizations, for example, which have been uh, recently labeled by um, the Israelis as terrorists, you know, Al-Haq or Al-Damir or Bisan, or you know, the Union for the Palestinian Women's Committee, the Union for Agricultural Workers Committee, um, those are all very fine and very reputable uh, human rights and civil rights, uh, civil society organizations. So Israel is only trying to, law, to you know, outlaw those organizations, which simply document and speak out the truth about the Israeli daily crimes of persecution of apartheid against the Palestinian human rights. So when Gantz um, comes and talk about, you know, those uh, very fine organizations uh, to be, you know, uh, involved in, in terror, and he doesn't have the capacity or the ability to prove it, this can only justify that Israel does, wants to hide anything or wants to target anything that documents or speaks the truth about the Israeli occupation. Mm -hmm. You know, those are uh, prominent peace civil society, Palestinian civil society organizations, you know, that the, the terror designation uh, that was given by Gantz, of course, was not supported by evidence. And that's why the international community and many EU countries recently resumed their funding. You know, and even with the very recent attempt to close those um, uh, organizations' offices in Ramallah, the EU representatives continue to support and they had faced for the first time, you know, Israel with, uh, you know, asking the Israeli authorities to provide evidence. Otherwise, they said they don't see any uh, implication of those organizations with any kind of terror acts. And that and that evidence is is not forthcoming because it simply isn't isn't there. Uh, can I ask you about the uh, so-called Abraham Accords? Of course, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, mm -hmm. Sudan, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, apparently very keen to join as soon as he can. Have Palestinians been abandoned by powerful Arab leaders? You know, I'm not against the Abraham Accords, to be honest with you. But uh, I think there is a fine line when we say, between what we say about bilateral relations between those Arab countries and Israel, and when we talk about the Middle East peace process. 
or when we talk about uh, enjoying peace and prosperity in, in the Middle East. The fact that Israel is you know, conducting relationships bilaterals with, with Arab or Muslim countries uh, is their issue, you know, and they can go to the moon together. We wouldn't object to that. But for them to say that they are engaged uh, on those agreements to serve the best interests of peace in the region, this, uh, this cannot be, you know, a process for one reason, which is basically, you know, Palestinians are a primary party to the conflict in the region. So um, 101 to conflict resolution, you know, if we look at, uh, you know, conflict resolution mapping, you look at uh, the parties in the first place. So the fact that they are excluding the Palestinians over and over again means and should mean to every Israeli citizen, they should realize that they cannot have peace without engaging with the Palestinians. As long as the Palestinians are not on the table, I don't think the region can have, can have peace. Yes, they can have economic projects, they can make profits, they can make business. Uh, they can boost their um, technological um, abilities or maybe their uh, air force and the military. And as I said, they can um, send rockets to the moon. However, I, I don't think um, such agreements and such an approach can uh, provide us with peace, uh, tranquility or security in the region. It's an interest based scenario, you know, which can serve on so many levels, but not peace. Mm. Is there a place for hope? And, and if so, where do you, Dalal, find it? Uh, you know, Bill, I was raised, uh, I was born in Jerusalem, raised here. And for every Palestinian, if you, if you decide to continue to live in Palestine, you have to be hopeful. You have to be, you know, uh, I'm not going to say... Uh, you know, dreamy because you know, you cannot dream. This is you know, being realistic is being hopeful. Otherwise, you cannot live here. Otherwise, you people will 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 tend to to violence. You know, because lack of hope can only lead but to violence. And this is what what the Israeli uh, leaders must realize. They should not continue to reward you know bad bad uh, bad acts with what they're doing against the Palestinian people. I think that it's about time that they grant the Palestinians their rights. Um, their borders, their uh, human rights, uh, their security, for if they care about the strategic um, existence of the state of Israel, uh, of course, the, if they care about the peace and security of their uh, citizens, and if they care about their own being in this region, you know, strategically speaking. So I think I cannot justify the rationality of being hopeful here, However, um, resilience is our only way out. And um, being hopeful is the only thing that I have to, ca to carry on, uh, just to try to find uh, ways out of the status quo. Because what we are witnessing now, witnessing now is just a deterioration. I think it's time for us to speak logic. Uh, we have been uh, advocating for the two-state solution for a while. We have tried negotiations. We, we don't need to reinvent any wheels. I mean, if the Israelis are re truly willing to enjoy peace in the region, it is simple. You know, the Palestinians had accepted to concede 70, 80% of historic Palestine. They went to the peace process based on the international legitimacy of the UN Security Council and General Assembly resolutions. So had the Israelis had any intention really to serious peaceful resolution with the Palestinians, they could simply implement what the international uh, world 
had agreed to as a solution to the Middle East peace process. But to continue to advocate for two-state solution and to uh, just talk about, you know, baseless uh, peace uh, lip service, you know, cannot be tolerated anymore. We either grant the Palestinians and Israelis, uh, uh, of course, equal rights, civil rights, human rights, uh, political rights, and uh, or we, of course, recognize the state of Palestine, identify the borders of the state of Israel, and end the Israeli occupation. Jalal, thank you. Thank you so much for kicking off our new season of Arab Digest podcast and speaking so powerfully and, and eloquently about the uh, Palestinian struggle. And uh, really, people need to think, as you said, think about the situation, focus on the situation, and acknowledge that the Palestinians have a just cause and the world needs to uh, support that cause. Thank you very much, Bill. And you know, it's been it's been a while that the world is adopting a step-by-step approach with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, uh, a micro approach. It's time we they, they consider a more macro approach in looking at the situation where they start by ending the Israeli occupation and then they delve into the details and not the other way around. Dalal, well said. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bill. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today in Ramallah was Dr. Dalal Edikat, Vice President for International Relations and Assistant Professor, Faculty of Graduate Studies, Arab American University, Palestine. Since we launched our podcast in 2020, it's been listened to nearly 90,000 times in countries right around the world. So a big thanks to all our listeners. And if you're a first-timer, check out our podcast library on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Amazon. In addition to our podcast, the Arab Digest newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts, contributors like Dr. Erikat. If you'd like a free trial to the newsletter, simply go to ArabDigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended, we're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. If you are a student or academic and would like free access to the Digest, contact your university library and ask them to secure a subscription. Details on ArabDigest.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest, essential reading from independent sources.